0: (laughs) Clear the back, if you would, please. You know how to clear the background, Elias? Clear the background, and then just put the slides up. And now hit the slides. All right, yes. We are uh, doing a series of Tale of Two Prophets, um, and it's pretty much centered in the book of First uh, and Second Kings. And we've been talking about Elijah and Elisha, two very prominent uh, prophets in the Old Testament. And um, so we're going to continue down that lane just to kind of catch you guys up or kind of give you a little bit of a background as to the story so that you can be invited into the story here and you can know what's going on. Uh, the background at this point... The scripture centers on Israel. So, Israel is God's chosen people. Chosen for what? This is a great question, right? Isn't this always the question? We're chosen people. For what reason? They're chosen to receive God's word, to keep God's word, to preserve God's word, and to preserve a bloodline for the Messiah, and then ultimately reveal the Messiah. To the world, so the Hebrew people were chosen for that purpose. They were chosen to bring God's word into the world. They were chosen to be a bloodline and a people, a special people, to produce a, a, a royal bloodline through that Jesus would be born, and there would be all of this prophetic word around it, so that no one would, could ever question or it would be beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who He says He is. And so the, the Scripture is centering on on that on this nation, and at this point in their history, their nation had divided. The nation divided because the North wanted to go a different way, so you had these people up in the North and they said, we don't want to worship God like this, we're tired of all the systems, we don't believe the way that you guys believe, we want to go our own way. So the North divided from the South, the Northern Kingdom became known as, say it with me, Israel, the Southern Kingdom became known as Judah, say Judah, there you go, so Israel and Judah The nations divided the northern kingdom because they left the Lord. They went into darkness. They were in a period of darkness for a long time. They kept struggling under the oppression of their enemies, even though they were covenant people, even though they were uh, children of promise. They were under oppression of their enemies because of the lifestyle that they chose to live, because of the choices that they chose to make, because of the things that they chose to worship. They brought oppression over their lives, over their nation, over their families. And so they were subjected to enemies they found themselves in famine all the time. It wasn't God's will that they be in famine, but because of where they were going and what they were doing, famine was produced in their life. It's kind of like with us. We're Christians, right? And if we press into the promises and we follow the Lord and we honor God, it's not about religious ritual. It's about heart. It's about belief. It's about coming and living as he would call us to be, right? It's a lifestyle. We inherit promises, Right. So, right. Thank you. Got one. All (laughs) right. One amen. That's all I need. Uh, Jesus is light. Can we agree with that? Right. So if you leave light, you end up where in darkness. Jesus says, I'm the fountain of living water. And he also tells his people, if you leave me, I'm the fountain of living water. You're going to find yourself drinking out of muddy holes. Right. So I'm living water, you want to drink out of the out of the sewer or you want to drink from the fountain? Which one do you want? And so when and that's what it, this nation ended up being in darkness, they ended up finding themselves in these places and they actually had been that way for so long that they had become ignorant. They no longer remembered, they no longer knew. God sends prophets to them. So again, it's very important to always emphasize the true nature of the Lord. God in his mercy, he looks for you even when you're not looking for him. That's beautiful. He's looking for you even when you're not looking for Him. He's reaching out to you even when you're not reaching out to Him. That's how beautiful He is. That's how wonderful He is. We think that God's standing up there waiting for us to come. No, He's seeking and searching to save those who are lost. He's seeking and searching for those who have walked away from Him or are far from Him. Come on. It's true. He's that good. You can't disqualify yourself. How can you disqualify you when you're not the one who qualified you? The only one who can disqualify you is the one who qualified you. And he's not disqualifying you. Right? And so they walked away, and the Lord's just seeking him. So he sends Elijah, then he sends Elisha. Up. At this point, the nation, uh, there's a king who's ruling in the north. So we have Elisha. Elijah's already gone. Elisha's in the, in the mix here. And he's ministering to a king whose name is Joram. Joram, his father was, everybody say, Ahab. And his mother was Jezebel. Okay? So, as soon as we say that word, we know his family's dysfunctional. Right? So, he's the son of Jezebel? Okay, we know what's going on here. Jezebel put all, they put all this, they just were really huge on eliminating God from everything. So, Joram is on the throne. And Elisha, again, in God's mercy, Elisha is ministering to the son of Jezebel, even though he doesn't want to hear anything. They, see, they had this weird thing they would listen or honor the prophet of God. Quietly, they wanted to kill him, but they would listen and honor him just because they wanted to make sure they covered all of their bases. They wanted to make sure that they weren't offending any particular God. So they would always, you see it throughout, throughout even um, uh, uh, Herod did the same thing. He honored John the Baptist, even though he didn't necessarily agree with John the Baptist, he honored him. And here you see Joram honoring Elisha, or at least putting him in his presence, even though he didn't agree. So Elisha is trying to minister to the king because the Assyrians, that's the bad army, the bad army had come into the land and the bad army was now trying to take everything from them. Okay? And so the Assyrians, the Assyrian army, was led by a guy, a guy named Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad goes into Israel and he divides his army. He splits them up. He sends this group called the Arameans. So ancient world armies were factions. Okay? which means they weren't all from one nationality. They were, they were factional armies. Roman armies were factions. They were made up of people from different parts of their empire. Uh, the Nebuchadnezzar's army was factional. Uh, Carthini- the Carthage- Carthinian army, they were factions. They were like a tribe from here, a tribe from here, a tribe from here, a tribe from here. So they weren't always unified politically, and they weren't always unified uh, philosophically. They they always didn't have the same kind of attitudes. That's why you see, even in the Bible, you see a lot of infighting with these armies because they were different groups of people from different places coming together under their king. So Ben-Hadad had a factional army. He spreads his army out. This faction of Arameans goes and surrounds the city where the king, Joram, is and where Elisha is. And Elisha tells the king, don't freak out. There's been a famine here for a while. Things are getting really bad but the Lord is going to deliver you from the famine. And he says, this time tomorrow, there won't be a famine. And the king's counselor mocks Elijah and says, ha, even if God was to open the floodgates of heaven, that wouldn't happen. But the tone was a mockery. He was mocking God. So here you have a a king who not only doesn't honor the word of the Lord, but he's surrounded by fools. Okay? So here's two principles. Everybody say this with me. When in doubt... Honor the Lord, okay? That's a good rule to go by. Keep that one in your pocket, and you go, what should I do? What should I do? When I doubt, well, when in doubt, honor the Lord. Always go down that lane. And then the second one is don't surround yourself with fools. Don't surround, you know, you can't, I say it like this, you can't fly with eagles if you're walking with turkeys, you know, you can't do that. It's not really a good thing. You're going to be, you're going to rise to the level of the company that you keep. And so not only was he not wanting to honor the Lord, but he was surrounded by guys who would dishonor God and mock God throughout. So Elijah's ministering. The king is unreceptive, and he's surrounded by fools. So the Lord prophesies, says it's going to end. He gives us the kind of state of affairs that's going on in in the politics here. And then he pivots, the story pivots, and shows us, everybody say, four lepers at the gate. So we go from the palace now we're at the gate of the city and sitting at the gate of the city during this time where they're being sieged and the famine is going on there are four men with leprosy and they look at each other and they go if we stay where we are we're going to die if we go back to where we came from we're going to die if we go forward well we might die but we don't know so which one's the better option forward Forward, right and so they said, so let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die, because we're going to die anyway. So our best chance is, yeah, our best chance is to go forward. This is the idea. God has built a system within Christianity. Everything the Lord does, he does with an order. There's a structure, there's a system, there's a movement, there's a rhythm into everything he does. You see it in creation, right? Right? We see it through changings of seasons. We see it through the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun. There's a structure, there's a cycle, even the moon, there's a cycle, a structure, and a rhythm of what God, within the order that God creates. Christianity has a rhythm within it. And what is imperative for the believer to understand is, if you really want to go there somewhere, is know what the rhythm of God is. And Most people are completely ignorant to it. And we guess, we're guessing, constantly guessing misrepresenting God, thinking, oh, God does what He wants, God works in mysterious ways. No, He doesn't. He works according to the counsel of His will, and He works according to a set order. If we understand the order and the methods by which He operates, we get in rhythm with that, and something begins to move in our direction. Most believers are out of step or completely ignorant to the system that God operates from, and that's why they wonder why everything keeps misfiring. And I'm not saying... you follow Jesus everything's going to be perfect but I am saying if you follow Jesus you're going to win okay not just in the afterlife but in this one so you may be knocked down but you will not be forsaken and in the end you will win Bible says mark the righteous man because his end will be greater than his beginning you see the point doesn't mean you're not going to trip you're going to stumble along the way you're going to make mistakes but if you will follow the rhythm of the kingdom in the end you will succeed it's a matter of time. Sorrow will endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. It's just a matter of time. In due season, you will reap if you don't quit. So your reaping is an inevitable fact. You are going to reap, come on, inevitably, if you don't quit. And so one of the, one of the rhythms of Christianity, you want one? I'm going to give you one. Ready? Everybody say it with me. Forward. That's right. Forward is the rhythm, one of the rhythms of Christianity. You see it all through the Bible. Jesus is constantly moving, constantly moving his people, refusing to leave them where they are. It's true. He, is not, he loves you too much to leave you the same. This is where oftentimes the conflict happens in people's lives. Holy Spirit's trying to work. You go, I don't like that idea. I'm trying to work over here. And there's always this tension in this pull between what the Lord wants and what you want. And what God will do is like, just like Jacob, he'll go, okay, have, your, have it your way. I'm leaving. That's what he did to Jacob. They wrestled. That's the image here. He's saying, do this. Jacob's like, no, I don't want to do that. Jacob's the embodiment of self-will. Jacob was called heel catcher, which means he did whatever he wanted. He was a manipulator to always get his way. He was only interested in his way. And so we see this encounter where angel with the angel, it's a theophany, it's a divine appearing of Jesus. Jesus is wrestling with Jacob. And you, you know, so it was just like, and what are they wrestling over? They're wrestling over where the Lord wants him to go. He wants him to do something. Jacob doesn't want to do it. And so the Lord goes, Cool, dude. Do it your way. I'll be over here if you need me. You know, but and now he, he will yield to your way. Do you understand that? People think God's gonna do what God's gonna do. No, he will not. No, he will not. He subjects himself in servitude to your will. Yeah. And when you subject yourself in servitude to his will, all of a sudden we have a perfect storm. We have something beautiful because here you have the servant king subjecting himself to your will. And when your will comes beneath his will the power of god begins unleashed in your life because he is serving your will and when your will is his will come on something happens the world turns something rises and so the challenge man is it's to give up on the struggle stop thinking like you know everything stop acting like you got all the good ideas you don't have any good idea jesus is the only good idea you know and you present it with him and you begin to develop a communicating relationship with him where you're hearing and receiving and hearing and receiving and you wrestle through what you don't know. You press into what you don't know and you begin to receive and things go differently in your life. That's just what happens. That's one of the rhythms of the kingdom is forward. But that rhythm of the kingdom will not activate until you do. You have to, I say it like this, I love to say it like this, I don't know why, but I always like to say it. You got to put a knife in your teeth and a rag on your head. Come on. And you got to say with me refuse to die where you are you say anything you want about these lepers but the one thing they did is they refused to die where they were we're not dying here and we're not going dying going back to where we came from if we're going to die we're going to die going forward and if we die that the direction of our blood pave the way for the next person that goes beyond us. But we are not, come on, we are not dying here. You have to make up your mind. Say, God just wants me to die here. I tell everybody, it's amazing to me, Christians want to put themselves in a security blanket, go in a quarter and suck their thumb and have pity. Well, don't have pity, get courage. You can't breathe. Are you going to suffocate? Are you just going to lay there until all the oxygen's gone or are you going to rise up and go, we're not dying here? I'm not dying here. You don't know what I have for me, Kevin. You don't know. You don't understand. Well, I know you're not a leper. I know that. I know you're not an unwanted outcast with no hope at all. That's what these men were. And it's true. One of the rhythms of Christianity is forward. Forward. He's not going to do it for you. He's going to do it with you. You've got to understand that. You're waiting on Jesus. He's waiting on you. The whole boat could have got out and walked on the water jesus didn't go and go let me take you by the hand oh lord just take me by the hand and lead me out on the waters well that's not biblical you got to want to go out on the water jesus didn't take him by the hand that's whole first service he didn't come down with david and go just sit by the sidelines goliath david and let watch me slay goliath he didn't do that he partners with your faith say this with me need is not the currency of heaven God is not moved by human need. I say that a lot here, just to rattle you a little bit. What do you mean? God has done everything he had tends to do about human need, and it's Jesus Christ. Heaven, say this with me, the currency of heaven is not need, it's faith. That's right. That's right. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he, they that come to him must believe that he is, and he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. Jesus walked by many people in need. Hello? Read your gospel. He walked by tons of people in need. Tons. Need didn't move him, faith moved him. Watch. It's true. The currency was not the need. He knew that. He knew Bartimaeus was on the sidelines. And he kept walking until Bartimaeus expressed faith. He knew the way. You don't think he doesn't have a word of knowledge that he knew that that woman had an issue of blood. You don't think he could have activated that anytime he wanted. And then woman comes and grabs his garment and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. He says the same thing to the centurion who said, "Do I understand who you are. You're a man of authority. What you speak comes to pass. I submit to your authority and I believe your word and I agree with your word. And The Lord looks at him and goes, such faith I've not even found among my people. Need didn't move him. Faith moves him. If you send your word, he will be healed. I'm not worthy to come unto your house, you to come into my house, just speak it. The Lord's like, really? You think I can do that? He's like, I know you can do that. And he even articulated how he knew, because I understand authority. And Jesus was like, hallelujah. <laughs> Look at this. Faith is the currency of heaven. That bothers us, but it's true. Because that requires something of you. And you can't blame God for everything. Oh, God just doesn't see me. He just doesn't know. He just doesn't see me. Yeah, he sees you. And yeah, he knows. But he's asking you to rise in faith. Give him a mustard seed. <laughs> what, what do you have? Do you have faith in anything? Do you have anything? Give him something. Give him something to use. Give him something to use. Over and over again, what do you have? 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 Not what do I have? What do you have? You got a stick? Okay. Got a jar of flour? Guru cruises oil? Offer me that. What do you got? What do you got? He shows up in a town. I love this story in the Book of Matthew. He shows up and he goes, "Hey, we want you to heal some people." I'm going to paraphrase it. And Jesus goes, "All right, I'll heal some people." He goes, "How do you want me to do it? How do you want me to heal?" And he goes, and the guy goes, "Okay. Well, what we're going to do, what we're thinking here, is we're going to lay everybody out on the ground, and you're going to walk among them, and they're just going to touch you." And Jesus goes, okay, is that which, that's what's going to activate your faith? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, all right, I'll do that. He didn't go, well, I don't heal. That's not my method. You see, I'm, I heal a completely different way. You know? <laughs> he moved towards their faith. Where their faith was, he moved towards it. Next slide. Christianity is meant to move. Jesus is looking for some people who refuse to die where they are. He wasn't interested in their excuse. Why do you think this story's highlighted in the Bible? You don't think there's lots of stories that were going on in that city at that time that God could have chosen to highlight, but he highlights that one. He holds that one up and says, I want that in my word. Guys who had nothing going for them, but they said, you know what? We're going to believe, and we refuse to die where we are. And Jesus goes, wow, that's my heart. That's my heart. Hope is before you. Say this with me. The bridge between where I am where I want to be or where I am and what I'm called to be is called ready change right you're not gonna get there without change because everything you have has brought you to this point point. and if you could go further you would but you can't yet you have a desire for something more a desire for something greater and the only and what's required for that to happen is you have to change that's right. You have to change what? Your schedule. You have to change your value system. You have to change how you invest your time. You have to change the people that you hang around with. You have to change your perspectives and your mindset more than anything else. People are limited more by their mindset than they are anything else. That's right. It's true. Our view of God, our view of ourselves, our view of the sick situation, our view of our circumstances. It amazes me how many Christians struggle with unworthiness. It amazes me that deep in their heart, they don't feel loved by God, even though he's done everything in his power to communicate that to them. Yet something within them tells them they're not loved. Something within them tells them they're not worthy. Something within them tells them that God's not going to help them. Something within them tells them that if I fail, he'll reject me. So I would rather not try, because if I fail, he's going to reject me. Well, my question to you is, who told you that? Who told you that? Your family may tell you that. Your culture may tell you that. You may tell yourself that. You may listen to a devil that helps you along with that. But Jesus doesn't tell you that. None of that comes from the Lord. He never says that. I will no way cast you away. Nothing can separate you from my love. I'm not going to reject you ever. Ever. Come on. I got more. He works all things out to the good of those that love him. Even your failures. Failure's not final. Jesus never condemns failure. Ever. You know what he condemns? Hold the chair. Cowardice. Uh-huh. Well, we don't want to hear that. Cowardice is bluntly condemned in the Bible. Yeah. Revelation, when God is judging the nations, the first one in line are the cowardly. First one in line. The cowardly will not inherit the kingdom. It goes down the list. Read it. He does not condemn failure. Ever. He didn't condemn the man with the minas or the talents for he didn't condemn him for failing he condemned him for being a coward he condemned him for being a coward and not doing the very minimum he said i wasn't expecting you to go out and win everything dude but i was expecting you to invest it in at least some place where i could have a return but you were too afraid and too cowardly to even do that that was his condom the cowardly You have to confront the coward within you. You have to. We don't want to admit it. I'm I'm going to give you real Christianity here. I'm going to put it right here. We're going to take all the shine off it, all the pretense, everything that we pretend and act like, and we're going to get raw. We're cowards in heart. Just admit it. You can. You're afraid. You know what you're most afraid of? You're afraid of your dreams. That's what you're most afraid of. You're afraid of the desires in your heart. That's what you're most afraid of. It's true. I was sitting with a car. I was in a car with a guy. We went to this ministry thing this weekend, and you know, was trying to check it out, see what they were doing. You know, uh, a bunch of stuff there, but you know, some good, some bad. <laughs> it was positive overall. Uh, some philosophical differences, but you know, I could set that aside, and I tried to, you know, just see what they were doing. But I'm sitting in a car with a guy, and we're driving around. We're talking about stuff, and you know, going to these places. We're going to go out and pray for people on the streets and things like that, which awesome. And he says, he's talking about, I go, so what do you want? What is it that you want? You know, what are you looking for? And he goes, oh, I just want the will of the Lord in my life. That's what I want. I just want God's will. You know what I told him? I said, that's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. That is a cowardly statement that tells me you are afraid of the desires of your heart. That's a cop-out. You've been a Christian how long? And we're still at the level of, I just want God's will in my life. You're a coward. You're a coward. How do you know? Because I've been a coward. And Jesus has had to confront me with my cowardice. But the difference is, I let him tell me. And I receive it. And I receive the correction and the rebuke because I know he loves me. And I received the correction. That's right. And I received the rebuke because I know he's telling me, Kevin, you're cowardice. What's in your heart you're afraid of. And because you're afraid of it, you won't do it. And so you cop out and say, you just want my will. What's in your heart? What do you want? What are you hungry for? That's what he, I told first service this. I'll tell it to you. Jesus is not afraid of the desires of your heart. Did you know that? He's not freaked out that you want 50 million dollars. He's not freaked out that you want a lifestyle that succeeds. He's not freaked out that you want to change nations. He's not freaked out that you want to build schools that change counties. He's not, it doesn't freak him out. He actually goes, wow, cool. I have somebody who actually wants to believe me. Will the son of man find faith on the earth when he comes? Will I find anybody believing me for anything? Will I find anybody anywhere believing me for what I told them they could have? Will I? Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? Right. Oh, well, we're getting up on the couch this morning. It's <laughs> true. What do you want? What do you want? Take what you want and line it up with his purposes. People, they go, I want to be married. And I'll go, why? Right? Here it is. Desire and motive. We have to take desire and and we have to match it with the proper motive and heaven will move over it. Most of the time, well, God said he'd give me the desire. Yeah, but the motive is wrong. That's James. You ask, but you're asking amiss because your motive is wrong. Well, I want a million dollars. Well, I don't believe God wants us to believe him for a million dollars. Are you crazy? Ask me for the nations. Did he stutter? But we're, we're just, oh, we're just worms, Pastor. Just, well, you may be, but I'm not. I'm a son of the highest. Amen. And I'm believing God for the mountain. Caleb, when he asked for the mountain, he didn't, he didn't hesitate when God told him he could have it. He said, God told me I could have it. It's time to give it out. Now give it to me. Oh, yeah. And he didn't go, well, you know, I was just wondering if Jesus is in a good mood today. And, you know, I haven't been perfect all these years, so I don't know if he's changed his mind about what he said I could have or not, but I'm just checking in on that. No, Caleb didn't do that because he knew God's heart. What do you want? He's not afraid of your desires, you are. I want to be married, why? Oh, because I don't want to be lonely, okay? I understand that, but that is a desire of self. So you're out of line. It's not that you don't have a need, God knows that. I want to be married, why? Why, I'm gonna show you how heaven will move. I want to be married so that I can produce a godly home. I want to be married to a godly person so that our relationship can reflect the beauty of who Jesus is. We won't be perfect, but we can reflect that this marriage will stand because Jesus is at the center of it. I want to be married and I want to raise children because I want my children to reflect the glory of God, whatever that means, into their generation. And I am willing to give myself to that and I'm willing to submit myself to that. You see how the motive is different? Motive's entirely different. You're one, I want a million dollars. Why? So I can show off. Ounce, 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 you know? So I can show everybody I got a better car than you. I live in a bigger house than you. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Your motive's wrong. Jesus doesn't have a problem with a million dollars. He has a problem with the motive. What's the motive? I want a million dollars because I want to start planning churches. I want to establish gospel communities around the world. I want to support missions work, and I will get, and the Lord will go. Hold on a minute. You got my ear, Kevin. You got my ear. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? What's it look like? That's how it works. That's how it works. Or he'll give you a desire to want a million dollars. I have a desire to want a million dollars. I don't really know why, but I feel like I want a million dollars. Money doesn't really mean anything to me. And you go, Lord, why do I want a million dollars? And he'll go, because I want to use it. I want to give it to you so that you can give it. I want to give it to you so that you can use it. I'm using a million dollars because it's, it's, it's high. You know, I want 100000 Okay, great. Do $100,000. Well, I want $100,000 so I can provide my home. I also say, okay, that's a good motive. But is it about your home or is it about the kingdom? I understand that. There's not a difference. There's not a, God does not diminish the personal needs within your house. But what it reflects is your lack of elevated thinking. So when all you're thinking about is making hundred grand so you can take care of your kids and take care of your home, that's a good idea. Okay, yay. High five there. Right? What if you believe God for something greater because it became kingdom-focused? When your focus becomes kingdom-focused, the pivots, things pivot. I want you to do a school. Look, we're nowhere near, we're we're close to doing a school. I say this with all intrepidation, putting myself out there, running naked on the stage, all this, this is what I'm doing. Somebody listening by audio is like, really, the pastor was naked on the stage? Is that true? No, not really. But the Lord, I seek the Lord. What do you want? What do you want from this church? Lord goes, tells me something. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, well, I'm thinking this. And then he goes, there's nothing. I hear crickets, so I feel like, all right, let's start that. So then I start that, and he comes back to me and goes, let me show you this. And all of a sudden I go, wow, hmm. And then I'm like, you know what I did when, when God was telling me certain things? I said, what's the motive here, Lord? What's the motive? You want us to start a school? There's tons of schools. Why? My wife even asked me, you, you want to start a school? I go, I don't want to start a school. I don't, you know, it's like I don't see myself as like the rector of the school or whatever it is, the chancellor. You know? It's like, I, that's not my motive. I feel like the Lord is telling the community, the church as a whole, this is what I want you guys to do. And I would ask him, what is the motive? And God would tell me, I want schools. And then he would, all of a sudden, I'd hear stories about all of this nonsense going on in the public schools. And you'd think, well, that's negative. No, the Lord's showing me, Kevin, this is why I want schools. This is why I want schools. And then he would show me all these different things, and I would ask him, what do you want in the school? And he would start telling me. And then I would start taking the plan because I don't want to do the school. I wasn't going, hey, I want to do a school so I can look cool or I can be whatever. There was no selfish motive involved at all. It's what do you want? Why do you want it? We don't want to ask him that question. What do you want? Well, how about God asks you, what do you want? I want a marriage. Well, why do you want a marriage? And you can kind of go, well, I don't know, Lord. Why do I want a marriage? And then him have him start showing you. You want it because of this. This is why I want you to have it. God wants you to have it, but not for the motives that you think. We want to do this because we want to change the county. I feel that if we do this, this is what the Lord has shown me, we can produce things People, kids, places that change families, that change cities, that change environments, that change counties. Is it going to happen overnight? No. But do you see where I'm going with this? I'm not trying to try to talk about the school or anything like that. I'm just trying to give you an example. And the freshest one in my mind is that one that, because it just hit me again this week. I was like, oh my gosh, I better get back on that page. You know? He's not afraid of your desires, are you? What do you want? Oh, I don't know. Hang on. Yes, you do. What do you want? Now, what do you want? Why do you want it? Why do you want it? Can you go higher? And then as I began to believe, then the Lord said, I don't want you to do one. I want you to do five. I don't want you to do one, Kevin. I want five of them. And probably when we start moving, when we get to that point, we're moving on five. He's going to go, give me 10. Give me 15. And so when we're trying to build this thing, the end game is to build a system that enables the school to multiply itself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you start stepping into something and you think, I want... 10 real estate transactions. Well, why do you want it? Because I need to take care of myself. Well, think a little higher. Think a little higher. Lord, if you give me X amount, I'm going to give you X amount and get out there and do it and watch it happen. It's going to start coming and you're actually going to go, wait wait a second here. Hold hold on a minute. You have to refuse to die where you are. What are you hungry for? The appetite works for you. you. What you're hungry for is what drives you. You will, not, you will move from the place where you are, the place where you are dying, when you get hungry enough to change. If you are not hungry enough to change, you're going to die where you are. Amen, amen, amen. I am hungry enough to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I'm that hungry. I'm hungry enough to risk it all. All chips in. Roll the dice. Are you there? I refuse to die where I am. I refuse to live a life of insignificance. We got one round. You got one at bat, guys. One. One. You don't get a rewind. You don't get a replay. Talk. Clock's ticking. There's no rehearsal. You're already on stage. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? That's the question. Refuse to die where you are. I had a, I had a guy come to me recently. He's having a hard time. The landlord's raising his rent, like 130 bucks a month. Woo. You know, whatever. Some maybe 150. But he only works 30 hours a week, and he's coming to me, and he's like, oh, I can't afford the raise and the increase and the rent, and I looked at him, I said, dude, you got to work more. (laughs) Seems like a good idea. And he goes, well, you know, I don't really like working, you know, I don't want to work anymore, you know, I'm kind of working 30 hours, and you know, and I said, here's your, you know, I told him, I said, you got to work more, you got to get another job, or you got to get a raise. I said, any of those things, any combination of those things, but you got to work more. And he's like, but you don't understand, I don't have any education, Kevin. I'm not educated. And I told him, okay, education is great, but it's not everything. You can compensate for education, everybody say it with me, with With. work ethic. Work (laughs) Work ethic can compensate for a lack of education. Now if you have education and you have a work ethic, great. You got got a couple of balls in the air. We're moving in a good direction. But if you have education and no work ethic, you you may as well forget it. Your education is profiting you nothing. If you don't have education but you have work ethic, you can compensate for that. If you're willing to hustle, if you're willing to work, if you're willing to change, if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to grow, work ethic can compensate for a lack of education. I told him, you can have no education, but you cannot not have work ethic. If you're lazy, we got a problem, okay? He's like, yeah, but I don't want to work anymore. And I go, do you, go, do you want to live on the street? I was like, what? you know, that's a, that's a pretty interesting trade-off here. You either got to work more or you're going to be living out of a van down by the river. I mean, he's like, what am I missing here? We have to be hungry for something more. I said, okay, you don't want to work more. Then get a better job. Oh, I can't get a better job. no, 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 no you don't understand. There's promises out there with your name on it. These these guys were lepers. They were unwanted, but they were covenant sons. Okay? They had issues, but they were covenant sons. They didn't nobody wanted these lepers, but there was a covenant on them and there was a favor on them that if they activated that covenant and walked with it, it was going to bless them. Do you know that Christian? There's a covenant on you, a blood covenant. Okay? It's not an Old Testament covenant. It is a blood covenant with the blood of a king and the favor of his kingdom is on you. Nobody wants me. I got issues, pastor. You don't understand. I got issues. You're not a leper. Give up the excuses. There, there's no excuse. No excuse. The only body, say this with me, the only one stopping me is me nobody is stopping you nobody you can work a job and have a side hustle in no other time in the history of the world have you been able to do that your grandma couldn't work a couldn't work a job and do another job on the side on the, in the evening because everything was closed you can do a job come home three four hours in the evening and do an internet business or start doing something on the side with the internet itself and start making money you can make a hundred bucks a month does that matter You can make a 300 bucks a month, does that matter? You make four, well that's a lot of work, for work ethic people, work ethic. What are you hungry for? You don't have an excuse. Well I gotta watch my shows. Well you should give up your shows and actually do something. If If you're hungry to watch Walking Dead, then go watch Walking Dead. But don't complain to me when you don't have money. Don't complain to me when they raised your rent My daughter paid down, I just told this guy this, my daughter paid down, she, long story, but she had to move back in with us, she was in a transition to her job, she didn't have a job for almost seven or eight months, and the reason she didn't was she was believing God for a specific job, and I was telling her, stay here then, pay down your debts, whatever, do what you do. You say, how did she pay down her debts without a job? She did everything on a side hustle, she paid down ten grand in debt in less than eight months, on a side hustle. What was she doing? She was doing jury surveys. She was doing toothpaste surveys. She was doing, whatever was out there, I told her, you have a tool right in front of you, use it. My children have work ethic. Of course, I'd like my son to have a little bit more, and you know, (laughs) but... It's true. She, I mean, she, I, I was blown away. I thought she's gonna maybe pay down four or five thousand dollars, you know. Get, you know. I told her said, get rid of all this debt. She made some bad decisions with the wrong people in wrong places and wrong things. But your father is in the restoration business, and that's what I would tell her. Your heavenly father is in the restoration business. It doesn't matter what you tore down; he'll build it back if you'll walk with him. If you'll walk with him, and I would tell her oh, you don't know, Dad. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know, blah, blah, blah. I, go, I don't care. I don't really care. I know what Jesus will do. And I know he's not offended by your mess. The church is offended by our messes. We get offended at each other over our messes. We get hypercritical over each other. Jesus isn't offended over a mess, man. You got to know who he is. He's an a restor- He specializes in this. He specializes in restoration. But it needs a partner to partner with him. And that partner's got to have a work ethic. Jesus shows up wearing work clothes. Okay, you know, it's true. You can make money on this. You find out what kind of, what, what do you do well? Do a side hustle. I don't know what it is. I have no idea, but there's lots of options out there. And you have an internet that's 24-7, seven days a week. That is the greatest revolution in the history of the world. The greatest revolution. We are going to look back at this time in history, and we are going to lament that we didn't take more advantage of it because it's in its infant stages. It's true. The internet has only gone to scale eight eight years ago. You all have smartphones. We didn't have smartphones 10 years ago. We didn't have smartphones in 1990. The internet was not in scale to where it is now. You have a device on you right now, this whole room is filled with the internet. You're walking around with it, with a remote control. Everything's there. And not only everything is there, information, access, but also opportunity. It just depends on how you see it. I just was with this guy, the guy that I wanted to slap in the car, he told me, oh, I just believe it for the will of God. And I told him he'd cop out. And he told me he just smashed his phone because it's a distraction. Yeah, what? It just depends on what you're using it for. What are you using it? He said he broke it. And the girl that was sitting in the front seat thought like he broke it. And I go, no, 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 he, he's saying he smashed it on purpose. And she goes, you smashed it? He said, yeah, with a hammer. And I said, why? So it was a distraction. I'm going to give you a little quick study here. This is a good conversation, so I'll throw this in here. Ready? Israel was subject to the culture until David came along. David came along and did something that's very subtle in the scripture, and if you're not paying attention to it, you'll miss it. David lived among the Philistines. Yes, it was a bad situation. It was a bad scenario. But his takeaway from that, the only people that worked iron in those days were the Philistines. The Israelites never worked iron. They didn't have a, the Bible says there was not an iron worker in all of Israel. Yet somehow when David comes on the throne, they've got iron. How did they get iron? Because David, ready, went to the culture and seized the, the tools of the culture and brought them into the kingdom and it brought transformation. Transformation. David didn't go well I don't believe in the iron I think Facebook's just one big colossal distraction I don't believe in that at all you have a you can be a digital missionary what are you doing with your Facebook page Christian you can be a digital missionary you can meet reach friends of friends of friends of friends of friends and friends people you don't even know but until you if you look at it as an aversion Oh, David could have looked at it and go, we're not working iron like those filthy Philistines. David said, there's an opportunity there. If we work the iron, we can elevate. If we work the iron, we can go to another place. Then when David was on the throne, you know what happened? Because they had iron. So they had the tools of the culture and they had the favor of the Lord. They dominated. They had the tools of the culture and they had the favor of God. And they took the tools of the culture and used the favor of God and they dominated. Dominated. For decades they dominated. They'd only stopped dominating when they decided they knew too much and thought they were the the shiz and nobody needed to tell them anything. Then they lost it. But so long as they held it before the Lord, the favor of God was being released and the Lord was working through the tools of the culture. He didn't go put that iron away. Turn off that Facebook. Who told you to download that Instagram app? Don't you know making videos of yourself is vain? It's how we perceive it. We're like in the dark ages, man. We're like in the stone ages. This group was, they all wanted to be really biblical and all this stuff, this group I was with and they were really biblical. And my attitude was like, hey, why don't you guys put on some sandals and some robes if you really want to be biblical? You know, if you're against women wearing makeup, well, why don't the dudes just drop some, why don't you guys go get some linen robes and walk around in Birkenstocks? that's biblical why don't you wear beards that you don't shave that's biblical why don't you not eat shrimp or shellfish that's biblical just it's like what planet are we on what world do we live in you know they believed that women should be holy and wear very long dresses like wagon train style and no makeup it was an unspoken ethos among them an unspoken movement but you could tell and it's funny the guys didn't have that on them but the women did that's interesting. So why is it that they have to wear that, but you don't? Hmm, could it be? <laughs> Problem, that was the guy who smashed, his, one of the guys that smashed his phone with a hammer. Did they tell him to do it? No, they didn't tell him to do it. He took it upon himself to do it. And I'm looking at him like, are you crazy? You guys talking about being missionaries and talking about being evangelists? That is the greatest missionary tool ever. And you guys, some of you need to pray, Lord, how can I be a witness with my Facebook? How can Some of you need to stop blasting and need to pivot completely away from the way that you post into another way. I would tell you not give it up. I would tell you use the tool, but use it for the glory of God. Stop using it for vanity. Stop using it for vengeance. Stop using it for vendettas. Right? Use it for glory. Someone offends you, you don't need to snap back. Bless them. Honor God. Use it for a tool that honors God. You say, people get annoyed at that. Oh, well. Oh, well. If you think you're going to please anybody, everybody, you're in the wrong game. You're not. I'm just trying to come up against the way we think. And we, we think wrong. We're off. Work ethic. Promises are yours. You are covenant sons of daughters. You have favor. Use the work. Use the, use the tools. Use what's available to you. They move. Ready? Watch this. Ready? This is a great piece. The Bible says, at dusk, so the lepers have this conversation. They're like, man, we got to do something. What do you, I say we go, yeah, let's do that. You know, let's go forward. Let's move in. We're, you know, let's go for this. And the Bible says, at dusk, they moved. And then it says, about three verses down, at dusk, God released the noise of chariots among the enemy. So at dusk, the lepers moved, and at dusk, heaven began to move. So could it be that heaven's waiting for you to move? You're waiting for heaven to move, and heaven's waiting for you to move. Heaven's waiting for somebody to express faith and step out, and then heaven moved. And it emphasizes the word dusk. So dusk, they're like, okay, let's go. And then it says, at dusk, God sent the sound of chariots among the Arameans. They just heard chariots, and they were like, what? Chariots, where? And they all started running. So heaven moved when they moved. They had a word. Elijah promised them victory. Elijah, God had promised them that the Arameans would not destroy them. There's several prophetic words that were spoken. Elijah was proclaiming in the city promises, 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 direction, the Lord, the Lord. If he can use, say this, if he can use lepers, oh, some of you guys, come on. Like, a, like, a, like, a, like the lions and the lionesses that you are, I want you to say this. If he can use lepers, he can use, he can use, me. If he can use me. If he provides... For the, sick, for the sick and the unwanted, the unwanted. He, will he will provide for me. Right? That's right. If you'll move into the promises, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. I'll share this real quick, and I got one more slide, and I'll, I I have more content, but I'm going to narrow it because I put a lot in. And anyway, so we're up at this place, and we're doing ministry, and we're going out and doing ministry with these guys and these people, and uh, which is fine, you know. I was. Even though philosophically we were on different pages, I put that aside and I said, okay, what can we agree on? Let's do, you know, I want to, you know, be a part of your process. Let's just see what you guys do. And um, so I went out with them and everything. And I'm thinking we're going to go out and pray for the sick. That's kind of what's in my mind and what's in my heart because that's kind of what they do. They evangelize and pray for sick people and stuff, which um, I can agree with that. But I I didn't pray for anybody that was sick, but I kept giving prophetic word. Like everywhere I went, I was given a prophetic word. But I, it was not what I was thinking of doing. And so then they bring up testimonies. There's like one lady. Okay, I'll give you one. I'll give you, I had two. I have several, but this one was really cool. They were praying for this woman in the back of a dollar store. So I was walking up. I was outside. I had to make a phone call and I was walking up and I saw him praying for her. And as I'm walking up, I'm just trying to read. I'm trying to hear the Lord. And I hear the Lord go, oh, darling, my darling. And I was like, okay. So he just thought, he spoke to me. Now I'm going to priestly minister it back. So there's the prophetic. Now I'm going to minister it back. What does that mean, Lord? And then he ministers it back to me. Kevin, it's a song. And I was like, huh. And so I got my phone out, and I looked up, Oh Darling, My Darling. And in 1942, there was a song written, Oh Darling, My Darling. Who knew? Okay? And the whole song talks about you're my darling, my darling. I want to call you that. I've been reaching for you. I've been looking for you. When you kiss me, my, I just want to, I want to run away, but I want to come back and embrace you. You know, oh, darling, my darling, when you embrace me, I don't want to leave. Get used to it, darling, my darling. I'm here to stay. And I was telling, do, do, you, see the, do you see the connection of intimacy within that, within that song? The Lord says, darling, my darling. He connects the song. And then he shows, you kiss me and embrace me. I'm here to stay. I'm not running away. You're my darling, my darling. So I told her. She just was like, and then she she then she leaves. I don't know where I was. I was roaming the dollar store. And I, <laughs> hey, there's a deal. Anyway, I was walking out and she brings her daughter. She comes and finds me and she brings her daughter up to me. She, went, she goes and gets her daughter. And she says, This is my daughter. Do you have anything for her? She, you know, we're Christians, but, you know, they weren't really, they were believers. But she said, My daughter's really struggling. So I started giving her. I gave her a word of knowledge. I said, she said, would you pray for me? This is what's going on. And I said, well, and I just was, you know, again, listening. And I heard the Lord go, word, I kept feeling word of wisdom. I said, well, let's see if the Lord will give you wisdom, if he'll release wisdom to you. Because more than prayer, maybe he'll give you wisdom. And so immediately, I felt like God was just giving wisdom, and he was opening it up. The guy comes up to me, the one guy, he goes, well, that's really good practical knowledge. The guy interrupts me, which, okay, I can handle it. He interrupts me, and he goes, well... He's given you really good practical knowledge, but what you really need to do is just give your whole life to Jesus, da, 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 you know, just religious jargon, you know? And, and I don't condemn them for religious jargon. It's where they're at. At least they're doing something so that we can celebrate. But the point was, I told him in the car, it's the same guy that smashed his iPhone. If you had an iPhone, you don't. or if you had a phone, no. I could send you the message on this, you know, anyway, but you don't have a phone. But I told him in the car, I said, I just want to be clear. That was not practical knowledge I was sharing with her. I said I was giving her wisdom, and, and, and I was, it was a word of wisdom. I was telling her, I feel this, I sense this, I say this, put this before the Lord, seek this, and she's asking me questions. She's like, wow, I never thought of that, and it wasn't like I'm some genius sitting there downloading all this to her. The Lord gave the wisdom, and so I'm operating the wisdom. And he's like, well, that's practical knowledge, but you really just need to give your life to Jesus and just trust him with everything, and da da da, da, da. you know? And again, we have to elevate what we're doing, Okay? They prayed for her. The Lord pointed this out to me. And it's not because I'm some Superman or anything like this. I don't want to shine myself because that's not what I'm doing. But what I want to highlight is the method. My method or the method this church uses is relational. We're not coming with a script and going to whack with a script and read down the script and say this and say that. I went to her and I started talking to her in a relational point. I sought the Lord for what he wanted to say to her relationally. I ministered to her. He brings her back. She brings. She, she, the Lord said she didn't bring her daughter to them, did she? She brought her daughter to you. And I, and I didn't, I didn't even, I know, because I do something called, they call it after action reports, which is something you should do. So you ever minister anything, just go back and just let the Lord show you, show you where you could have gone. Show me maybe some things that you could do better. Show you some things that you did right. Just, Just let him process with you. Let him show you. And so I was just processing what, what went on there. And the Lord was saying to me, you know, I was like, man, that was so cool. Darling, my darling. I was like, man, that was awesome. You know, and, 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 uh, and I felt like the Lord goes, he was showing me this. I kept feeling all this relational stuff. And he said, she didn't come back to, you, to the other team, did she? They prayed for her. They were already ministering to her. She, they came to you. And I was like, okay. And I felt like the Lord was showing me just the difference in methods. You know, you're m- ministering to this person on a, on, in a relational, interpersonal way, in a way that's meaningful to her, not some script that you're reading off of. And let me be clear, if you minister and have ministered and you have read from a script, I commend you because you're doing more than most. So there's no negative there. They're doing something. I honored them. I told them, you guys are doing great. But the Bible says this, Jesus tells us in in 1 Corinthians 13, can I show you a more excellent way? So that's good, but can I show you a way that's higher? Can I show you a, a greater way? Can I show you something that's more beautiful than what you're doing? Can I take that raw knowledge that you have and can I show you something greater? We have to be open to letting God show us something greater. So anyway, I, uh, you guys got a minute and I'll close. All right, anyway. So I come back to the place. They get us up there. They share testimonies. And what I noticed is they didn't honor the prophetic in this place at all. They honored like, the healing. They honored evangelism. But there was no honor for the prophetic. I don't think they even understood it. And so here I am, I get up there and testify and the guy's like, oh yeah, we prayed for this woman and this and that, and he's saying all this other stuff. And then they're like, oh, and I shared a couple of stories of where I gave prophetic word and it was like crickets. Everybody's like looking at me like, you know, and they're kind of, maybe their attitude is like, well, we don't want to hear voices or we're not really sure. We don't want to discern. I'm like, you know, dude, I'm all in. So I I ended up telling them two different stories that I'd shared and I told them the darling, my darling. And I had people come up to me like, wow, you you heard that? You saw that? You, You know? And I'm like, yeah. And then... The one guy sits me down and tells me, uh, can you help me with that? I really feel like I can do that. Well, first of all, all y'all can do that. Let's just be clear. Every one of you, good God that all his people prophesy. You all can minister through the prophetic. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's you, okay? It doesn't say the pastor will prophesy. It says all kingdom of priests, kingdom of prophets, okay? That's what we are. So I was saying, yeah, man, I'll, you know, so I just ended up talking to him. Then he starts telling me the story that I'm going to get to this point right here. My point is if you move into the promises, something will happen. That's my point. So he's telling me, telling me about prophetic and all this, and he goes, you know, listen, do you, do you have a word for me on this? And huh, the guy goes, my whole family, he looks like a normal guy, he goes, my whole family has been involved in the mafia for all my life. And I said, were you involved? He says, no. He goes, but my father was a serial killer. I'm like, oh, great. You know, I've got coffee. I'm just trying to go in and do the thing. And I, you know, but I'm like, okay, this is my assignment. I'm going to listen. And I said, well, what do you mean by a serial killer? He said he was a hit man and he murdered at least 17 people that, that I know of. And he said, he tried to kill me three separate times. And he said, I have all this destructive stuff going on in my body. He said, I have no nerve endings or no nerve feeling in the bottom of my foot. And he's telling me all these different health problems he's having. Then he says to me, um, and my son last year tried to murder my wife. And he goes, do you think any of that's connected? <laughs> Could be, yeah. <laughs> so Sherry's asked me where I was. I was like, well, guy's got murder in his house. I think I should probably go over there and try to help him. So I spent 90 minutes with him. And he, all he, then he wanted me to pray for his feet. I, I told him, I said, look, I don't want to pray for your feet. I want to go here, you know. And because he, he told me, he said, I've had 100 people pray for me and my feet are no better. He said, nothing's happened. And I said, well, In likelihood, what's happening to you, your physiology, is related to something spiritual. It's related to a curse, perhaps. It's related to stuff that's going on with you generationally. Let's go there. I said, that's where I want to go. I said, if you've had 100 people pray for you, great. I'm not going to be 101, at least not yet. So I spent 90 minutes with the guy doing inner healing, doing all this stuff with him, and it was amazing, and it was great. He's like tripping, but I didn't know what I was going to get because he's part of this group, and I didn't want him to think, oh, these guys are like you know, doing all this weird stuff, you know, like, so I really tried to hold my place because I knew from a philosophy standpoint, that group was different. They had a different approach than me, but I just told them, if you press into the promises, something's going to happen. And I said, this is a promise. You are a son before your father. Healing belongs to you. Covenant belongs to you. Your bloodline does not relate to the curses of your family. We need to move you from that to you in receiving your inheritances of the bloodline through the blood of Jesus. So long story short, 90 minutes later. Pray for him, whole bunch of interaction there. People didn't know what was going on. I had him over in the corner. And then he takes his shoes off and I say, is there anything different? I had to leave, I couldn't stay any longer. I had to drive home. And he's like, like, yeah, my foot's like, he's like my right foot's like 50% better. He's like, I can feel it. I can feel it. He's like, my right foot. He goes, but I don't have anything left in my left foot. I said, well, just keep praying. Keep working it out. He goes, can we do a little more ministry? And I'm like, I can. I got to go. I mean, the guy would have me there all day. And so then I go and get Sherry and I'm walking out and I see him walking up and down the driveway. I said, how's your foot? He's like, I have total feeling back in my foot, my right foot. I can feel my right foot. And he said, but my left foot's no different. Right. But he said, my left foot, I can feel my right foot again. That's what he's telling me. So, you know, okay, glory be to Jesus. But what I was telling him was like, dude, if you will press into the promises, something is going to happen. And people go, well, you didn't heal both of his feet, Pastor. (laughs) This is how dumb we are. This is literally how dumb we are. We're that dumb, okay, where we'll go. We didn't heal both of his feet. And i wouldn't say, well, why don't you come with me? Now here, now you take it all the way home. You show me how to bring it all the way home. How are you going to do it? You go right ahead. You show me how it's done. I mean, we need to celebrate the first downs, not just the touchdowns, okay? That's a first down, okay? We got the guy to the 50-yard line, all right? You know, so, okay, whatever's happened, I mean, I don't know. He's like, man, I want to come. He's like, I travel around a lot. He's like, when do you do the school? And when do you do this? And when do you do that? I go, I don't know, know, man, hang on. So let me see what I got left, and we're going to close it up right here. (laughs) One more slide. see what we got. So our job is to recognize the promises, live for our identity, move forward, not fearing our desire, not fearing failure. Jesus' job is to remove the obstacles. Your job is not to remove the obstacles. The only obstacle you need to remove is in you. Fear, intrepidation, whatever it is that's in you, that's your job. You have to deal with that. But when you come up against an obstacle as you're moving with God, it's his job to move the obstacle. And then you begin to, you go to the obstacle. You don't go, well, there's an obstacle. You take the obstacle and go, Lord, here's the obstacle. And again, this is a relational experience. He's going to go, well, what do you think, Kevin? You can elevate to a position where Jesus actually asks you what you think. Most of the time, he doesn't care what you think because you're on your own agenda. But it's amazing when you get on his agenda and you start honoring him and you're in full relationship with him that he actually starts asking you, what do you think? What do you think? What, yeah, what do you think? And I'll go, oh, I think this, or I think that. And, you know, and, and here's a better one. What do you want? And I'll tell him, I, I, I will do this, but I don't want this, and I don't want that, and I don't want to do this. And it's not like a disobedience thing. It's just like, I want to go there, Lord, but I don't, I don't want to have to go down these lanes. You know? And I feel like I've proven myself down these lanes. I've done these things before, and I know how hard that is, and I don't want to do that again. Maybe next time around, if you want me to do that, I will, but this time I don't want to. And the Lord will go, okay. That's, that's how he, like literally how he's been dealing with me on stuff. The only, body, only person stopping you is you. They went to the camp. They went out at dusk. Heaven moved. The army ran away. They left all the treasure behind. Say this with me. My treasure is in front of me. Hope is before me. My de- best days are yet to come. They moved with the Lord. They went out. They found the treasure. This is important, and I'm going to close right here. Say this with me. They ate. And they drank, and they took from the spoils. So let me say this to you. Don't get sad when your harvest comes. Don't get sad when your breakthrough comes. When the thing that you've been believing for actually happens, don't act like old sad sack. You need to celebrate it. You need to eat. You need to drink. You need to take from the harvest that God has given you. Perfectly acceptable. But then in turn, you need to share it because that's what they did. They ate of the provision and the harvest they took for themselves. There's no correction for them taking anything. They took whatever they wanted. So they kind of walk in there and there's like gold and silver everywhere and they're like, what? <laughs> they start shoving it in their pockets. They're digging holes. They're burying it. And then they realize, man, we got so much here. We can't possibly use all this. Like, man, I'm full. I don't know. There's still a lot of food. let's Let's go tell some other people. Let's go help some other people. And so they took from the harvest. They took from God. They took what God had provided. They took it for themselves, but they didn't keep it with themselves. That's the important thing. It's okay to want this for success, but that cannot be your motive. Your motive has to be kingdom. If your motive's kingdom, God will begin to move in that direction. He's always moving with kingdom. He's not moving with self. If your motive is kingdom, well, sell. You see, wait, oh, get, here's the verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and all His righteousness and what? All what? Everything's going to come to you. Because God is seeking kingdom. So when it's kingdom related, your job, your business, your life, your family, your hopes, your dreams, kingdom related, God will move in that direction and you're going to benefit in return. Do you understand that? And that's the point. So take from the harvest. Don't cry when your harvest comes. Find the treasure Say this with me: Find the, Find the treasure. It's there. Experience the treasure. Experience the treasure. Yes, and share the treasure. Yes. Amen. Well, I'm going to bless you, and then uh, we're going to turn it right around. We're going to have a little meeting on the school. So, um, and then we're. Uh, uh, I got other things I got to do. Sorry, <laughs> I'm like then I got to go in there. Yeah, I got to go in there. So let me bless you. <laughs> yeah, other things. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you.